excited to welcome these beautiful women from the landing. So many of you know that I am passionate about fighting sex trafficking. And you guys are on the most authentic path to help victims of trafficking and help our community. And I wanna give you a huge thank you for what you do. And a big thank you to Adam Andrus. I'm having um, hair envy today. This guy <laughs> has the most amazing hair and the most amazing talent bringing us to you. And you guys can listen to this on SoundCloud and YouTube, but right now we're live on Facebook. And I ask that you share it, if you're compelled by our story, that you share it. And I also wanna say it's my 100th podcast today. Yeah. This is number 30 of Living the Authentic Life, but prior to this, I hosted 70 podcasts called Styling Social Justice. And I feel like we're continuing that mission of bringing the women of fashion, because I love fashion, <laughs> into really feeling like we're making a difference in our community. And I've been diving so much into authenticity, into purpose, and in so much of the research I've done with purpose, it's to realize that a big part of our purpose is to also feel that we're helping other people. Mm -hmm. And you guys have taken, you've had, um, Hillary, you have had a journey with in the nonprofit world of helping people and you. Um, and then um, Kara, you came from Accenture in a corporate environment, but also did mission work. So each of you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you landed at the landing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll start. My name is Hillary Shear, and so I grew up in Arkansas, actually a small town, middle of nowhere pretty much. Um, I moved to Texas because I got a job working for a summer camp called Camp Ozark, which I is actually it. yeah, it's a wonderful sports and adventure um, camp for kids. So I worked the torn family. Yes, such a great family. Yeah, wonderful. So I grew up going to the camp. It's about 30 minutes away from my home in Arkansas, and so um, when I graduated from college, they said come work for us. Moved to the big city of Houston, and I was. I was like, oh my goodness, I know no one, I've never been to Houston, this is crazy, but jumped into it. And so worked there for three years. And then um, I just felt the Lord saying, all right, it's something new, time for something new. So didn't know what that was, had no idea what I wanted to do, what was even out there. So actually just, um, God put the story of Abraham on my heart, of just go, leave what you know, leave your land and trust that I will guide you wherever I want you to be next. So actually oh, wow. jumped into unemployment for a month and just sat with the Lord and said, God, if you want me somewhere, you're gonna lead me, I trust you. Open the door and I'll follow. And so during that month, actually, instead of watching Netflix and just kind of chilling and waiting, I said, you know what, I'm gonna make a difference in this waiting period. So I started actually volunteering at the landing, going every day, um, just doing whatever I could, you know, whether that was sorting clothes or just working the front desk, um, little things that weren't even that big of a deal, but they were making a difference every day. And then at the end of that month, the executive director at the time and one of our co-founders, Natasha Paradeshi, she came to me and said, you know what, um, I see that you are passionate about this cause, mm -hmm. you have been committed to this the whole month that you've been here, and we're looking to hire someone. Um, would you be willing to do marketing, communications, volunteer coordination? And I was just like floored in that moment of like, God, like this is 
my background. This is what I want to do. I had no idea this was out there. Like, you're bringing my passions and my skills together. Like, yes. And so I just jumped in. And so I've been at the landing for over four years now. And it was totally God. He knew I would have had no idea that I could be a part of this without letting go and trusting him and just obeying him and giving it a chance. So that's how I got here. And I have been so blessed being able to serve and again just use my passion and my skills and abilities um, together to make a difference and it has given so much back to me than what I could ever have given it. Wow so in my research I also identified this term called ikigai and it's a Japanese term and it says when you figure out what you love and what you're passionate Mm -hmm. about and what you're good at doing and what the world needs and you can make the world better and you can get paid for it it's called ikigai and that's exactly what you've done and i too have taken this time with covid in particular Mm -hmm. to really slow down but i have to admit i've watched a lot of netflix too (laughs) did not cut netflix out i know it's a guilty pleasure but also really been listening to god so Mm -hmm. i love that because i feel Sometimes we're on that hamster wheel and we can't stop enough to hear the message that he has. Mm -hmm. And I love that that's part of the journey Mm -hmm. with the landing is the spiritual journey. How did you come to the landing, Kara? Yeah. Um, So my journey is a little different. One of the things I love is that all of our staff and volunteers just came to the landing through different paths, but the Lord brought us to the same place. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had more of a business background. Um, I, after college, spent a year doing mission work overseas, and that's where I really first learned about human trafficking. I worked with some incredible ministries in India and in Thailand that were doing street outreach, or they were doing kind of early prevention efforts with at-risk youth. And I just saw how they were bringing light into these dark places. And Mm -hmm. it just planted something in me that I think the Lord years later used to bring me then to the landing. But um, I moved to Houston to work in consulting. And so I was there for a number of years. Um, I just got involved with uh, volunteering through different organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was so eye-opening for me. I think like a lot of people, I thought of trafficking as international. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought of it on that scale. and I didn't realize it was happening here. And so then when I learned about, you know, Houston as kind of one of the big hot spots in the U.S. and the prevalence of it here, it really just moved me. And um, just, I think the Lord worked on my heart and I was in a season where I was working a lot. And I think I was really reflecting on my purpose and thought, you know, I've got these gifts and these skills and background and what if I applied it to something that really mattered Mm -hmm. and um, at the same time some you know there was an opportunity to join the landing and kind of more of a business capacity and so it's just been this incredible thing where I've been able to bring over that background and the things that I know how to do but in a setting where we're able to help survivors and we're Mm -hmm. able to you know mobilize the community and kind of be a part of this movement so it's um, it's really just a joy and a privilege that I've been able to come and join the landing. So amazing. Well, um, I love fashion, so I'm so blessed to be able to work in the fashion industry. But Mm -hmm. as I said, I also love movies, Mm -hmm. and I was talking about Netflix. So Pretty Woman kind of glorified Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. a prostitute, and it made it look like, and my favorite scene out of the whole movie was when they won't help her in the store, Mm -hmm. and she walks back in with all the bags, and she says, mistake, big mistake, because they didn't (laughs) help her. So, um, but we have a road like that here in Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. where 
people can drive up and down like he did and pick up a prostitute. And what people don't know is oftentimes those girls aren't prostitutes. They're prostituted, which mm -hmm. is a different. And that is on Bissonette between 59 and the Beltway, right oddly next to the most expensive car dealerships mm -hmm. in Houston on that route right there. Yeah. And you guys have a drop-in facility that helps kids. I mean, there's kids that are 13 and 14 years old that you service. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the reality of that and that's not shown in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think there can be this portrayal of of sex work as, as really empowering. And, um, you know, what we see is often the people that we serve, they are coerced into it, or there are just a number of underlying reasons that they are in that situation. Um, and so, you know, we work with people who are being trafficked or they are being um, forced to be in that situation. As uh, And so we are located on Bissonette, which is that hot spot. Um, and we really try to be just a safe space where people can come and receive services so they can just walk up, um, they can get their basic needs met, things like food or um, a place to rest or hygiene products or clothing. And then we have case managers that work with them on their goals, whether that be their education, if they want to get their GED or need to get a job. Um, and we have trauma therapists who support with their counseling needs. And so we really try to just be this kind of non-judgmental safe space where people um, in that community can come and we try to build trust with them and just meet them where they are. So that's really kind of the heart of the landing in our drop-in center that's located there. And a lot of people think like, well, these women are in chains, which some of them mm -hmm. are behind bars, but so many of these girls, it's more about the mental captivity than it is about the physical captivity. So when you say they come in and drop in, but they don't necessarily come in and say, I've been trafficked. They're not mm -hmm. even aware that even maybe what they're going through. Let's, will you share a little bit about their mental state and how you guys kind of help them through that process? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, most victims don't even know what trafficking is. They don't even understand the concept of maybe exploitation or what they're going through. And and the majority of people that we see, they simply have been um, manipulated. Like you say, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's psychologically, mentally. Um, there are vulnerabilities that have been taken advantage of. And so, you know, maybe it's um, a family member. And so when, when I look at my family members, um, you know, I don't think of them as any, any bad person. Um, even if they do something that is maybe um, hurtful to me, you know, they're not we bad. We are told to forgive family. them. Absolutely. Yeah. We're told, family. and then sometimes, many times, when we tell an adult, they even say, oh, they didn't do that, exactly. or they don't believe you, or the adult isn't in a position to go out right. from that abuse because the person perpetrating the um, abuse is the financial mm -hmm. breadwinner in the family mm -hmm. and controls the family. Right. Or think about romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. When you believe that you love someone and someone loves you too, you almost give them an excuse for anything because it goes back to that, oh, but really he loves me or she loves me or really, you know, but they're taking care of me. Um, and that was most surprising to me that most mm -hmm. of the girls that are prostituted believe that their pimp mm -hmm. is their boyfriend mm -hmm. and that believe that they are selling them for money, but they, the pimp still loves them. Yeah. And so 
they don't walk in and say, help me, give me a counseling session and pray with me. Right. <laughs> so how does that process work? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's the same as, you know, within the domestic violence community, there's that question of like, well, why didn't she just leave? And that kind of emotional bond and some of the underlying reasons are just so deep. And so, you know, we follow at the landing, the stages of change model where we know that, you know, like any New Year's resolution, if you aren't like uh, in a place of committing to a change, you're not going to make it. And even within that, you know, you might relapse. And so we try to meet people if they're kind of pre-contemplated or not really at a point where they're committed to a change yet. So Sometimes we just try to build trust and engagement. Um, and that's really all we do. And then we try to expose them and make them aware of kind of the reality of what trafficking looks like. Um, we have a class called Ending the Game that helps. Um, it's a survivor-designed curriculum that helps just introduce some of those ideas of this is, you know, what you've experienced, help them process, um, you know, their relationship with their trafficker, with that lifestyle. And they can, on their own, come to understand their experience and process it. And it helps break those bonds. Um, through that education. And so a lot of what we do is, you know, if they're ready to, you know, get a new job, find stable housing, move on, we meet them there. But if they're really early in their journey, we really try to tailor the way that we meet them and approach them and the services we provide and kind of walk alongside them as they're um, processing that and moving along in their journey. And I find the strongest connections when there's trust. And I think that's important that you mention that. Uh, because it is a big part of that whole journey. And so what I, the other program that you guys have is the youth advocacy program where you connect the youth with an advisor or do you call mm -hmm. them a counselor? Tell us about okay. that. And they walk with them through the whole process so they know yeah. they can trust that person because so many victims suffer from a loss of trust with someone who was in power over them, authority figures saying they love them mm -hmm. or and then not showing up. Yeah. So that trust has to be hard to earn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we started our youth advocacy program last year. We started as a drop-in center mostly for adults um, in that community. And then we found with a lot of the adults we served, they were first exploited when they were a minor and they were youth. And so there's just that need in Houston as law enforcement is increasing their identification of these young victims, they needed a safe person who could walk alongside them. And so our advocates are on a 24 seven on-call schedule. And so if they get a call day or night from law enforcement or healthcare or um, child protective services, they go out and they meet the kid wherever they are just in that moment of crisis. And they're that person who can kind of be with them in the moment. Um, and then from that, they build the relationship and they go to their appointments with them. They kind of advocate on their behalf. They really get to know the kid and their story and their needs and make sure that those things are being voiced with the other partners in that process, just so they have someone who kind of understands the journey that they're on and can help guide them through it. And so that's really our hope with our advocates. And, you know, a lot of it's um, helping them with resources, but a lot of just emotional support and being a listening ear and just being someone who's there for them and can be a friend outside of their family unit or, you know, counselors or anything else. It's just someone who's kind of in their corner um, and can be there with them and, and just listen to whatever they need to share. And another part of the research that I've done is finding out about blue zones. And this is kind of a stretch, but blue zones are places where people live to be 100 years old. So they looked at what values were in their life. And one of the most important things for these centenarians was having a community that supported them. And there were even places where 
um, you were born in, a, in an area of Japan and you were given this group of people. And I think sometimes we forget, even if our parents aren't perfect, my 13-year-old certainly would not pick me as mom <laughs> of the year. But um, we forget that a lot of people in our community, like you don't have to go to Thailand to do mission work. Like right. there are people here who don't have a safety net, a group. I mean, there are groups like Big Brother, Big Sister that go and advocate mm -hmm. for that. Um, and oftentimes in domestic abuse, it's building that. So I think that's such a simple thing that we take for granted in our life is that we even have a support system. Mm -hmm. And I also commend you because a part of the journey that I wasn't thinking about was when there wasn't a court-appointed person or a person to go through the journey for them, they had to retell their story over and over. Right. And that's so traumatizing. Yeah. And as part of the PTSD that they go through and part of all of that difficulty. So um, tell us a little bit about if you are in the community and you mm -hmm. want to advocate for someone, what are the ways... I mean, it could be as simple as just praying for them. You guys Absolutely. have an amazing program set up for prayer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I would say, first of all, would be uh, maybe start with some awareness first. And if you're if you're new to this, um, you know, there are different resources out there that are available. Yes. And your website. Absolutely. On our website, we have a two-pager front and back thing with just some statistics, facts, Thelanding.org. That's correct. Thelanding.org. Um, and so that's one way to start. We also have a, um, a class coming up. It's free to the public, to the community. Anyone who wants to register on our website again, you can jump in. And that's going to be a one-hour class next Friday from 12 to 1. And we're just going to go through facts, figures, what does it look like here in Houston. Um, so that might be a first step. And then once you kind of get maybe your foot in the door about awareness, um, we would love for you to come and pray with us if you're willing. We have a call on Mondays from 12 to 1, a Zoom call right now, of course. And so we have prayer requests on our website. Again, you can download a sheet that we update every month that has requests specifically for victims, for the landing, things that are going on in our community. And you can join that and pray with us from 12 to 1 on Mondays or just by yourself. We also have texts to your mobile phone. If you're a person that wants to get texts on the go, you can text at pray number four TL to 81010, and you'll join a group that gets weekly updates, real-time texts. Like last week we had a survivor um, who needed medical attention, and we were trying to get her um, attention like right away. We weren't quite sure where she was, but we needed prayer. And so people were just texting in, I'm praying right now, I'm praying right now, I'm, I hope she's okay. And so we were able to, of course, get her that help, and then we could send it back out and say, hey, she's safe, she's in good hands, continue to pray for her, but like, thank you, your prayers make a difference. Um, so that's, yeah, like you said, a great foundational way to get involved. Well, I think during COVID, I don't know if I said this on air, but we were talking about it before um, we went on air. There's so much isolation during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I mean, there are definitely days I have to pick myself up and choose joy. I have to say, Absolutely. I am joyful. I have to yeah. profess it. I have to read scripture. I have to get myself in the right headspace. And the most interesting thing is by giving to other people, mm -hmm. sometimes we get a lot. And mm -hmm. I've noticed that like, I'm so inspired by sharing you guys' story. It makes me full of love mm -hmm. to know 
that I can help you. And I think that if people are looking for joy in their life, that they can join this movement. They can become a part of our journey. I'm a part of Houston 20, and that website is fightforus.org. And we support organizations like you Mm -hmm. in the um, Houston Area Against Trafficking organization, which you guys are a member of. And you guys work in collaboration with so many other people. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about those collaborations with other HAT members. Yeah, so, I mean, we really recognize that no one organization can fill all of the needs of a survivor. And so we try to come together as a community. Um, And so for us, you know, we're located on Vicina. It just gives us kind of that point where we can meet people there. But they have certain needs where we might refer to other partners who are also anti-trafficking organizations and do incredible work and cover kind of different needs than we do, whether that be they need long-term residential care or Mm -hmm. whether they need legal advocacy or they need... Um, shelter or you know whatever that might be we partner with others Mm -hmm. and then you know one of the things that's really great about Houston is we have just kind of at all levels um, human trafficking is a priority Um, through the state governor's office we um, partner with them for our child advocacy and for drop-in center um, through the the city of Houston Um, Munal Davis has done an incredible Mm -hmm. job of coordinating this uh, response across the city and then with health care and law enforcement um, you know we all try to come together and make sure that, you know, we're kind of learning from one another and we're consistent in being able to, you know, as, as victims are identified in different settings, they're getting connected to services. And um, and I think that that is really important and it's, it's the best uh, way to meet the needs of the survivors in our community. Well, I was reading the other day about Amber Alerts and mm-hmm. saw that Rick Perry was the one that um, instigated that. And I found this statistic interesting in regards to Amber Alerts. It says sometimes some runaway groups estimate that one in three young people are solicited for sex within 48 hours of running away. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are abducted, but some are runaways. And is that with the Amber Alert? Are there other ways that the community can reach out to us? Are there other ways that people can help with that? Are you working with, I guess that's a different um, HAT member that, that does that. But tell us a little bit about the runaways. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I would say that absolutely um, the vulnerabilities that are present whenever a person runs away is what traffickers then capitalize. So um, when when you know of a runaway or you may come across someone who you may think has run away, um, obviously I would say if you are able to engage in a safe way and just ask them questions and see if they're okay and that kind of thing, go for it absolutely um obviously the police is a great thing to contact but we also have the national human trafficking hotline number which is a toll-free number that anyone can call if you have any information about that um but you can also call us you can call the landing and we would have the right resources to connect people through either our youth advocacy program or um like you said other hat members in our city who are doing um exit teams and and um rescues when people need that assistance and are willing um but i think you know one thing that you kind of mentioned is um it's that trust building that kind of starts at first you know Mm because of course when, when we see people even on bisonette every day when we're driving in for work my heart just wants to stop pull over and grab them and pull them in my car and say you know like i love you i want to help you like come i'm going to give you a hot meal and clothing and let me help take care of you um but like we mentioned it's meeting people where they're at and helping yes. them along their journey rather than forcing them into 
where we think they should be at or along the journey that we think they should take. Um, it's restoring that choice and that freedom that has been taken away from them and empowering them. So, you know, back to the runaways, that's why we think the drop-in center model is so um, unique and important because it allows some autonomy of a person choosing when I want to come into the drop-in center and when I want to get the food and who I want to talk to and then freedom to then leave um, and make choices and when they want to go to a shelter and when they want to get help and that kind of thing. Um, obviously with minors there's a little bit of a difference um, of just making sure we tell the right people and report that where it needs to be reported. Um, but that's why we think this model is so beautiful. And again it's not just happening in the impoverished areas in Houston. It happens everywhere. I was talking to teenagers in West Jew and there was a girl that ran away and she said that she ran away because her mom was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and then the mom and dad were looking for her and the police were involved and the kids and this was all just in West Jew happening sure. and I they were saying oh the girl was going from friend's house to friend's house and I said mm -hmm. okay that's called couch surfing <laughs> and that is a sign to be aware of if mm -hmm. no one knows where you are then you might end up on the wrong couch and so I just think there's so many factors that we have to realize are there um, do you share some of those too in your 101 or can we walk yeah. through maybe some of those things to think about? Yeah, some like the red flags and yes. things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so we can mention a few. Um, so obviously there's, like you said, there's kind of different demographics um, and it can look very different, vastly different across communities and different situations. Um, some of the bigger things that we're seeing is things um, like, you know, obviously any abuse that you might see or hear of. Um, mm -hmm. We see things like bruises and tattoos, um, but even more, I think, menacing is social media and the internet mm -hmm. because that's the things that you can't see necessarily. So it's, mm -hmm. it's when um, you, usually teenagers or kids are being approached by people online. And so it's new friends that uh, maybe parents aren't aware of that kids mm -hmm. are meeting online. And so, yes. um, and even like through uh, gaming systems, you know, I think of our young boys and girls who are playing these video games on the internet and they're meeting people online. Um, so those kinds of things I think are red flags that specifically parents need to be having conversations about their children about, hey, what apps are you on that are cool? I just, I have no idea what cool apps are right now. I just want to learn. Tell me about why you use that app. Why do you think it's cool? Who are you meeting online? Um, you know, those kinds of conversations so that we can understand who our kids are, where they're going, who they're meeting, why, what's their motive behind all these things? Because those are some of the red flags that we see that are leading toward um, the grooming process beginning um, in, in those young kids' lives. And there is also human trafficking that's different than sex trafficking. Is that something you guys address as well? So human trafficking is the umbrella that encompasses labor trafficking and mm -hmm. sex trafficking. So the labor trafficking piece is something that we would um, definitely accept anyone and help them, but most likely refer them to partner organizations who are better set up to meet the needs of the people that have been labor trafficked. Um, yeah, and with that, so we work with anyone who has 
um, experienced commercial sex industry. Mm -hmm. And so we do that because there are so many victims who have not been identified within that. Um, there are some estimates that less than 1% of human trafficking victims are actually identified worldwide. And so we try to create a safe space where we can get to know people, where we can connect them with services. And within that, um, you know, one of our hopes is to be able to identify within those, you know, victims of sex trafficking. Um, but we know that anyone who's in that space, there are just inherently difficult things. I mean, it can be, um, they can experience a lot of violence. Like the, a lot of times they're just, you know, root causes of, you know, childhood abuse and trauma, um, and just a lot of constrained choices that lead people into the situation. So we just try to be a safe place for anyone who's experienced the commercial sex industry. And if people wanted you to come out and speak, do you go and speak to NCL chapters or to churches or different organizations? We will speak to anyone and everyone. Uh, yes. We have a form on our website that you can go to, again, thelanding.org, and you can request a presentation, whether that's, you know, during these days, we will do Zoom presentations mm -hmm. or um, in person. I went and spoke to a, a nursing home or like a retirement home of people that we're just um, passionate about taking care of their grandchildren. You know, they yes. said, I hear this is happening. We want to know more. And so we will go anywhere and everywhere. Absolutely. Please reach out if you want us to present. We yes. would love to share. <laughs> And it's Human Trafficking Awareness Month or, and your fifth birthday. Yes. So are there special things? You're doing the one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. um, training, but you're also having a birthday party this year. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, so we, uh, as of last Monday, we opened our doors um, five years ago on Vicinet, and um, we just wanted to celebrate with the community. So we're gonna have an event um, in April um, to be able to have um, tours of the landing for anyone who wants to come and see our center. Um, and we're also gonna have a rooftop party that's socially distanced um, and outdoors, but a way to just kind of gather together and celebrate all the things that have um, happened through the landing. And do you find that after survivors have gone through your program that part of the journey is that they're coming back and wanting to help others? Because I've really seen that mm -hmm. and been so fascinated by that, being willing to help and give back. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, I would say, really, our program never ends, technically. You know, once a survivor has entered our um, family at the landing, they can be a part of it for their entire life. Um, when they come to a place where they're at a place of independence and stability and they're ready to kind of transition away from our more intensive programming, yeah, absolutely, we have them come back. They can speak at our, at our support groups and we've had a couple of those survivors come back and be leaders in that community um, that we are hopefully fostering at the landing. And it is just a beautiful thing because there's a relatable factor there that you know I could never bring um, and such a, just a beautiful picture um, of that group. And um, I also heard it said that most, um, not all women who are prostituted are strippers, but most girls who are exotic dancers or strippers are also prostituted. And I think that that is interesting because a lot of people have this impression that these women are making big money and they're loving the lifestyle and it's a great journey and so men shouldn't feel bad men and women shouldn't feel bad about giving to that industry or being a part of it can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that because it was really eye-opening 
to think of it in this way. And so even if you don't have girls, there's ways that you could change the mindset because a big part of the reason there is trafficking is demand. Absolutely. People want it and pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say absolutely. We have multiple survivors that we have worked with that have been in and even currently are in the um, stripping, pornography, um, those kind of interest industries. Um, I remember one of our case managers actually even told me that there was one survivor that particularly stuck out um, in her mind that said, you know, I have been both working in a club and working on the street of Bissonette and I would take the street over the club. Um, and that just kind of woke me up, kind of like what you were saying. I, we, I would think maybe the club is safer or... They're protected um, or they're given good salaries and they're given breaks or whatever it is. Yeah. So, and I, w I can't you know, claim that for everyone, but for her particular situation, that was her perspective and her opinion. And that just struck me. Um, and I, I absolutely agree that... Um, there is a vulnerability that is being exploited, and there are factors within the pornography, within stripping and clubs, um, that helps feed into the demand for trafficking. And that, you know, how many of those videos online um, of women, they're trafficked women. They um, are not choosing to be there. I wonder how many women on that stage um, you know, they, there's some kind of something that brought them to that place. And if they had the option and ability to be somewhere else, would they? I can't answer that question for everybody, but it makes me question and wonder. And um, I definitely believe that men in our community have a responsibility to play in helping push back on the demand and disrupt that demand um, in the anti-trafficking industry. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to your point, there are really three parties involved in sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so we work with the victims at the landing. Um, and I know you've had Jonna Stallings on previously, and she mm -hmm. really works on prosecuting the traffickers. Mm -hmm. And then there are others, um, like formerly Love People Not Pixels, I think Disrupt Demand yeah. is their new um, brand. Yes, they just launched their yeah. new yeah, name. I was trying to remember Big it. shout out to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? But, you disrupt know, that's demand. really their focus is addressing the demand portion. And, and all of those are so important. And absolutely, yeah. if you are passionate about um, fighting sex trafficking, you know, they're supporting the victims, but there's also looking at what, what's driving the demand for that Absolutely. in the first place. So I think that's so important to look at all aspects of it. Mm -hmm. It is. And to, I mean, I remember when um, my daughter says, I never know the name, so I won't know. Like um, the woman who was like the number one song in the country was about getting paid for sex or your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Who was it? Is it M Nikki Minaj or I, I, I'm so sorry. I should know <laughs> if I'm going to really say it. Moment, yeah, sure. I know. Sure, but. but the whole song was about her being paid for sex. Mm -hmm. And some women were saying, oh, that's so great that she's empowering herself sexually and she's not being a sexual object. But I sat down with my daughter and she was mortified and we read the words to the song and it was glorifying someone 
paying for your education because you had sex with them mm. or buying you gifts because you had sex with them. And I think that as long as we, again, it's these, these movies that glorify it, it's this music that glorifies it, and we have to be aware of that with our kids and the way we message to them. And, mm. I mean, I am in a different place in my journey right now so I'm listening to KSBJ in the car and I know that's not normal and everybody's not going to do that but we um, are really active with our daughter and we've said if you're going to be posting on TikTok you have to make sure that the words in that song are are also not going to come back and haunt you that it's not sexually explicit that it's not um, that it's not because it's also not healthy for her to hear that repeatedly because you get numbed yeah, by it. Absolutely. And that's a big part of this pornography thing is yeah. um, spiritually we can say it's bad, but we're not supposed to judge other people. But the other thing is we can say you are being numbed to this by seeing this sexuality over and over and over repeated to you. You're saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what so many of these women who are prostituted have been through. And unfortunately, our um, foster care system is broken. And many survivors I've talked to have been victims of the foster care system. And I don't even pretend to know how to overhaul that. But if this person you trust was doing this to you and... um, and then you're getting paid to do it where you're like, well, this person didn't give me anything and I'm getting paid for it. I might as well take the money. And it's so it's even more about just the way we raise um, women to believe they're worth more. Mm-hmm. And there there's a lot to just that basic core value that if we share that with the community, than that or just within our families that we're worth more than sexualizing ourselves. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, Completely agree with you. And I think, you know, I think about the women and even the men that walk into the landing and that that is something that we are trying to almost restore and um, instill is the belief that you are valued, you are worthy um, of the love that you have not experienced in your life. And it, I think it goes back to that, um, that trust building. And mm-hmm. it's almost like if, if that can be the first thing that someone starts to believe in again, oh yeah, that's right, I'm, I'm valuable, I'm worthy, um, I have a purpose, um, then that is almost like the start of then, okay, now I can dream again. And I can uh, achieve my goals and I can reach for the stars and I can get that job and I can go to that apartment and, and I can, you know, move and move and move. Um, but it's, it's really, yeah, that core thing that's the first step of really realizing I'm, I'm not a throwaway. I'm not um, just the person that no one cares about, but I really, I do have purpose in this life. And I don't have to be ashamed of my relationship with God and that Absolutely. God forgives me of everything that I've done mm-hmm. and that there's no shame in that journey. And we have to forgive mm-hmm. ourselves before we can really move on and grow. Sure. Or even and forgive I, others. Exactly. And to forgive and, uh, the trafficker because to walk around with that mm-hmm. pain is such heavy. a huge part of the journey. I read that um, 
our hearts are too precious to carry that pain. And for mm -hmm. some reason, I found that really compelling. I feel like that's directly from God. Mm -hmm. Well, we are almost coming to the end of the podcast. I want to give you guys to, time to share if there's things that you want to share that are coming up or ways people can get engaged or ways that people can financially assist because I, I, um, I know we, uh, at Houston 20, we try to give grants and we looked at your grant and um, I don't know if Amy Pierce has been in touch with you yet. Has she? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I won't share anything, but <laughs> there are always needs financially and there's things mm -hmm. that you could do uh, praying, as we mentioned, how are other ways that people could feel like they're making a difference. Sure. I'll start with two more things. Um, one is volunteering and serving with us. So our two, our three things that we kind of say is pray, serve, and give. And so obviously we talked about the praying um, and so service. We have a volunteer orientation coming up. It's going to be on Zoom, um, but it's in early February. So that oh, also is on our website. So people can sign up if they're interested in getting involved and um, working in different areas, like whether that's um, coming to the drop-in center and actually mm -hmm. working there, doing donation sortings, um, answering the door and the phone, and just being a welcoming presence for survivors, whether that's going on street outreach with us and trying to connect with the individuals mm -hmm. in that vicinity area, whether it's helping with transportation when someone needs a ride to a job um, interview or a court appointment or a medical appointment um, and there are other ways to get involved too but if you're interested in that jump on and get involved we also have a list on our website uh, where you can fill a need we always have things that we need at the drop-in center and for our youth advocacy program so whether that's you know clean underwear and bras and socks whether that's um food, snacks for our program. We have a whole list of needs on there, so you can go on thelanding.org again and see that list of needs. We have an Amazon list, so you can easily just, you know, one click, Amazon's made it so easy nowadays, and just get that shipped directly to us. Um, so if you're someone who wants to, you know, get your kids involved, you could gather some things together, maybe um, create little sacks or bags or write notes or something like that, um, and bring those to the drop-in center or have them shipped to us, and we would love, and those would make a big difference even in small little ways. I love that. Yeah. And I would say with that, you know, we were talking earlier, but if you have a, a Bible study or in your workplace, mm -hmm. a group that would like to learn more about this, you know, we're more than happy to um, give awareness presentations and help your group get involved and plan service projects or different things. And so um, that's another great way to just get the word out in your community where you have influence or, you know, like you're doing with your podcast, just use where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, as you alluded, we're a nonprofit, so we always um, need financial support as well. So you can give um, through our website to support our mission at thelanding.org. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, you guys have filled my heart mm -hmm. and put wind in my Thank sails you. to go on. And there's, it's nice to know that there's so many ways we can give back even during COVID. Yeah. And um, it's such meaningful work. And I love mm -hmm. that you guys shared and God bless you guys. And mm -hmm. I'll be posting things on my stories. Please send to me so I can mm -hmm. share with so many people are reaching out and asking me what yeah. they can do, and I think it's great to have next steps. Well, guys, have a great week. This was the perfect 100th podcast for oh, me. So thank, thank you so much, so much for, much for sharing. You, and you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next